Hey there, Donovan. This took place when I was in the military. I was stationed at Camp Casey in South Korea. I was a truck driver and had the night shift for about two weeks. The roads were pretty empty at night. One night, I was driving down the road that ran parallel to the DMZ, which is where North Korea and South Korea meet. There are no towns or villages in this area, due to the fact that it is heavily guarded by both countries' military forces. This road runs from one end of Camp Casey to the other, about 10 miles long. I was driving along when my headlights caught something moving in front of me on the side of the road about 50 yards away. I slowed down and tried to focus on what I was seeing. It looked like a huge dog or a wolf running very fast. It had long hair and was moving at a pretty good pace. I thought it may have been a wolf that escaped from one of the zoos in Seoul, about an hour away. I watched this thing run across the road and disappear into the rice paddies. I came to a stop after I pointed my headlights off to the right of the road into the rice paddies where this thing was. I'm sitting there for maybe 20 seconds. Then I see this thing rise out of the rice paddies. I kid you not, it was the same wolf that I saw run across the road. The rice paddies are about 3 or 4 feet tall, and this thing's torso started at the top of the rice paddies. It was there standing on two legs looking at me. Its eyes were reflecting in the headlights and looked all weird. I could tell it was looking at me trying to figure out its next move. I could see it turning its head like it was thinking on what to do next. It dropped back down and just took off. I couldn't see it after it moved out of the headlights. Craziest thing I've ever seen, Donovan. It was this dark gray color from what I could tell, and it had a big old head on it too. Hi Donovan, your channel was recently recommended to me and I've been listening almost every day to all the weird encounters that people have. It reminded me of something that happened to me back in the 90s and I never been able to explain it. I've always lived in an urban city in New York, but after graduating from college, I met someone with strong ties to the South. When our relationship got serious, I was asked to consider moving down to Georgia. I was reluctant to do that because I had kind of a stereotypic view of Southerners, but I was smitten enough to say yes to the move. I moved to the outskirts of Savannah, Georgia. There was quite a bit of culture shock, but I gradually got used to the area and fell in love with it. I think I even started to develop a Southern draw. We eventually got engaged and started looking around at different areas, trying to decide where we might want to buy a new home. We wanted to stay pretty close to family. My fiancé's family lived in a really old house. The history of the place was incredible. There was a lot of documented history about the house's old owners and the activity surrounding the house. There are a lot of underground tunnels in the area. They're pretty much blocked off now for the most part, though. But at one point, the house was a safe haven for slaves trying to flee from the South. The winter after I moved down there, my fiancé's parents were going to visit relatives in Switzerland for a couple weeks. They asked if we would house-sit. We were glad to help out. A few nights in, we were just staying home and having a quiet evening, since it was cold and sleeting a little outside, which is rare for the area. We weren't used to the weather being that cold. We went upstairs to get cozy and just gotten into bed when we heard this loud bang. It really startled us, but we figured it must be a door closing because of the wind. That was weird enough, though, because we were in the habit of keeping all the doors closed since it was a drafty house. 
We turned the lights on and went downstairs. We looked all around. When we got to the dining room, we could not believe what we saw. It's one of those old fancy formal dining rooms. The table in there was completely set with place settings. I mean, everything was laid out. Cloth napkins, the nice old china, their heirloom silver, everything. It was a 10-person table and everything looked perfect. Like a dinner party was about to happen. But the thing is, the table was never set. Nobody uses that room except for a rare holiday now and then. The table was always empty except for a vase of artificial flowers in the middle. We started freaking out and looking around to see if someone had gotten in. My fiancé tried to stay calm and decided to call the police. We were convinced there had to be an intruder hiding somewhere. We were waiting for the police and we went and checked the security system. It was still set. It would have gone off if a door or window was opened. When the police came, one officer did a search of every room in the house. And one walked around the entire house. There were no signs at all that anyone had come up to the house or gotten inside. The police had nothing to go on. And to be honest, I thought they were looking at us kind of weird. Anyway, they finally took off. We were just left there in disbelief, trying to speculate what could possibly explain it. I never believed in ghosts, but I have no freaking idea what happened that night. It's really the strangest thing that I've ever experienced. My fiancé actually called his parents since it was morning in Switzerland by then. His mom said the tableware was definitely not out before. She said she couldn't even remember the last time she used the formal china. His parents were really worried that someone was hiding in the house. We assured them that the police had been through every room and checked everywhere. There wasn't much else we could do about it, so we thought we would just put everything away and try to get some sleep. But first, my fiancé got out the Polaroid that his dad always kept in the kitchen and took a photo just to document the weirdness of the night. We got everything back in the cabinets and went back to bed. I kept hearing every little sound and it was hard to fall asleep, but I eventually did. When we came down the next morning, of course, the first thing we did was look in the dining room. Thank God nothing was out of place. I saw the Polaroid picture laying there that we had forgotten about. I picked it up and looked at how crazy the table looked with all that china on it. Then, in the corner of the photo, I saw this blur. Like how it looks if you're trying to take a picture of something running by really fast. I looked at that corner of the room, and there was nothing there to suggest any movement would have been picked up. For some reason, I got the chills running up and down my spine when I saw that. My fiancé agreed there was no explanation for it at all. As far as I know, nothing else strange has ever happened in the house to the family. I don't understand why, on that one strange night, those spirits or whatever they were tried to freak us out like that. I really avoided that room after that. I only found your channel about a month ago or so, but I really wanted to thank you for it. It makes me feel better to be able to listen to other people's experiences. When I was a kid, I lived in southern Ohio. Me and my sister had a babysitter who lived near the woods. We were really close in age, so we were probably 9 and 10 years old at the time. One day in the summer, we were playing outside with a couple of other kids who were babysat there too. I don't remember why exactly, but we ended up getting in a big argument with them over the rules of a game or something. Anyway, my sister and I refused to keep playing with them. 
So we decided to go pick some flowers that grew at the edge of the forest. We wanted to get a bouquet to give to our babysitter. There were these gorgeous white flowers that we loved. We thought they were Queen Anne's lace, but we came to find out later that it was poison hemlock. We knew we weren't really supposed to be over there so close to the woods, but we figured we'd just hang out there for a bit, then go right back. We somehow got onto the neighbor's property while we were picking those flowers. We noticed a path leading into the woods, and for some reason, we decided to check it out and see where it led. There was nothing special about the path except for the fact that we didn't know where it went. There were lots of spots where it was overgrown, and you really had to duck under branches to get through. After a while, we came to this little bridge, but the creek bed under it was dried up. We kept going beyond the bridge and eventually we came to a clearing with stones all around it in a circle. Right in the middle of the circle was a huge stone well. We had never actually seen a well before. There were stairs built into the inside walls of the well that spiraled down. My sister found a rock and tossed it in, but we never heard it hit the bottom. I don't know if the well was dry or if the well was so deep that we couldn't hear the rock splash. We started looking around for more rocks to throw in. I was looking around in the bushes at the edge of the clearing and found these huge stones embedded in the ground. Then I realized there was writing on them, like names and dates cut into the stones. It took me a minute to realize they were gravestones. They were in some sort of graveyard in the middle of the woods, far away from anyone. I started getting chills when I realized that. Then my sister appeared beside me really quietly and poked me. She pointed to the edge of the clearing on the other side of the well. She was pointing at a dark shape standing just inside the woods facing us. She whispered to me that it had come up the stairs of the well. I stood up very slowly and stared at this dark shape. My sister grabbed my hand and tried to get me to leave, but I couldn't move. It was like I was actually paralyzed by fear. I couldn't take my eyes off this creature. It didn't move at all until some clouds came over and the clearing became slightly shadowy. Then the shape moved. It was the size of a human adult to me. It looked like it was covered in black feathers. It turned its head toward us and seemed to look right through me with these freakishly weird red eyes. Then it lifted up these big black wings and jumped into the tree behind it. It was perching on a branch like some giant bird out of a nightmare. We finally both turned and ran as fast as we could, back the way we had come. My sister was faster than me, so she made it to the bridge first, but I wasn't too far behind. We ran over the bridge and found the original path, and then I looked back and saw that thing standing there at the edge of the bridge. Just standing there. I screamed and kept running. I tripped over the route in the path and ripped my pants and tore my knee, but I just got up and kept running. We burst out of the trees screaming and crying and ran into the house. Our babysitter tried to calm us down and said, there was nothing like that in the woods, but it just made us more hysterical and determined to convince her. I don't even know what finally calmed us down. It took both of us a long time before we'd ever go back on the deck again. Everyone was convinced that we had made up a story with our hyperactive imaginations. When I got older, I sort of tried to make sense of what we saw as some kind of weird psychological reaction to picking hemlock. But the fact that my sister and I had the same exact experience made no sense at all. I know what I saw was real, 
I probably don't remember all the details exactly since it happened almost 40 years ago, but I'll never forget the level of fear that I had. I have a scar on my knee from when I fell so hard that day. I guess it's a good reminder that there are strange, unexplainable things in this world, and that I should probably have a healthy respect for the unknown. I don't live in fear or anything now, but I tend to believe people who have strange stories to tell. At the risk of everyone knowing who I am when they hear this story, I'm going to go ahead and tell it publicly, because I think it's worth sharing with a wider audience than my friends and family. In 2020, following my divorce, I bought a tiny house in the small town of Bradley, South Dakota. It wasn't much, just a one-bedroom, one-bathroom, cottage-type home, across the alley from an old church that had long since quit holding service and started falling apart. Bradley is a very small town, with a Mayberry-type feel. Everyone knows everybody. The kids and dogs run the streets freely, without anyone bothering too much with them. There's even an old woman a couple blocks over, with a pet peacock that runs wild with the kids. When you envision a small, weird little town in the middle of nowhere, it's Bradley, South Dakota. So I wasn't expecting much trouble on that day that I moved in. In fact, the first few weeks that I was there were pretty boring. Nothing happened at all. I spent the time fixing the house up, just how I like it, and literally, in some cases, watching paint dry. It was my 10th night in the house when I first saw the little girl. I was watching TV in the living room and heard something shuffling around in the hallway. I couldn't imagine what it might be and thought maybe one of those free-range kids or dogs had made its way in through the back door so I got up to go check it out. She didn't look like she was more than three or four years old. She was filthy, covered in dirt from head to toe, and her hair was matted and twisted up in clumps. The only clean thing on her were two streams down her face where the tears had washed the dirt away. She startled me when I first saw her. Then I got concerned. I hadn't seen that kid before, and whoever she was wasn't being cared for properly, if her appearance was any indication. I asked her, honey, what's your name? But she didn't respond. She just kept staring at me blankly, almost fearfully like she couldn't tell if I was a good person or a bad one. I tried talking to her again. I asked, are you hurt? And she wouldn't tell me. I went back to the living room to get my phone, and when I came back, she was gone. I called the local sheriff and made a report, hoping he'd be able to tell me something, or maybe even come out and find the girl. Strangely, he didn't seem all that surprised what I was telling him. He just told me not to worry about it and go on to bed. The same thing happened three or four times a week from that point on. I tried taking a photo of her with my phone one night, but she ran away the second she saw me point that thing at her. It was like she knew what I was trying to do, and she didn't want to be identified. Finally, I started asking other neighbors about the little girl and if they knew anything. Most of them acted like I was absolutely crazy. A few, though, seemed to know who I was talking about, but acted very much like the sheriff, telling me not to worry and that they were sure she was just fine, whoever she belonged to. I decided the only way to make it stop was to buy a new lock for the back door. I had been locking the door, but the house had been there and had the same key for God knows how long. A new lock, I thought, might take care of the kid being able to run in and out especially if she somehow had a copy of the keys from the past tenant. 
The new lock seemed to work. I didn't see her for about two weeks. Then one night, I was startled awake by something cold touching my face. When my eyes opened, the little girl was standing there by my bed and jumped backwards. Every bit as frightened as I was. She took off running out the door quicker than I could get out of bed. This time, I was determined to get an answer about who she was. I wasn't going to continue to live this way. I drove down to the sheriff's station myself and asked to speak to him in person. When I told him who I was and that I needed an answer about this kid, he looked reluctant to tell me anything. Then he finally, I guess, decided there was no point in covering it up anymore. He admitted he didn't know her name, who she was, or who she belonged to, but that he had been getting calls about her for years. Now that didn't make any sense to me, because she wasn't old enough to have been causing trouble for years. I imagine she was just finally old enough to turn a doorknob herself. So I told him I didn't believe a word of what he was saying. If she had been around for years, she's a damn ghost, I said. That's when he raised his eyebrows at me. And I knew that that is exactly what he was trying to imply. It took a while, but I did finally figure out her name. I visited every library in the Tri-County area, sifting through old newspapers until I finally came across an article from 1910. A little girl who lived right on the same property I now live on had apparently died of scarlet fever and been buried in the churchyard behind the house. For days after her death, her mother would sit outside, saying she could hear the girl crying. At first, everyone said it was the crazy hallucinations of a grieving mother. Finally, though, the mother insisted that they dig her baby back up to check. They obliged thinking one final look at her daughter's body might help her make peace with the loss. When they did dig up the girl, though, they found her flipped over on her stomach, her hands twisted up in her hair, and her poor little fingernails clawed right off into the wood casket. She had been buried alive and come back awake after some time. The wailing her mother had heard was really her. She came back around one more time after I learned who she was. I called, her by her real I called her by her real name, Rachel, and told her that I was sorry she woke up scared and alone, but that if she had let go of this place, she could pass on and be with her mommy and daddy in the world that comes after this one. She wiped the tears from her eyes and smiled at me and skipped away. I haven't seen her since. Thanks for listening to the stories. I just wanted to say thank you for all of your support, and thank you for those of you who have been sending in your stories. If you have a story to share, you can send it to stories at dread.army, or you can submit it on the dreadsarmy.com website. Also, you can enjoy listening to my narrations on any of your favorite podcast platform, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And finally, make sure you check out Lilith Dread's channel. And if you're into true crime, there's a link below to my true crime channel. Thanks and take care.